and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. Sebastian, where are you? Hello, Claire. I'm in Connecticut at my mom's house. Where are you? I am in Kathmandu, which is the capital of Nepal, which is a country in Asia. And in this week's episode, we're reading chapter 18, which is called Opening an Existing Relationship, which, full disclosure, is something I have never done. (laughs) Nor me. Yeah, so um, welcome to all the listeners, to two people that have never done this discussing this. But in a, okay, but here's the thing. In a way, we're kind of the perfect audience, right? Because this book is very much designed for people that have never done polyamory or non-monogamy practically before, and are probably well. They even say in the beginning, like, and throughout this chapter, you may well be coming to this book because you are in a relationship that you want to explore opening it. So, someone who has actually never navigated that formally, even if we have done non-monogamy, we could be the best people to be reading this chapter. And I would also point out that even though neither of us on our end have had to open an existing relationship, we have helped or been involved with people who are either new to non-monogamy or opening existing relationships. So we've seen, at least I have seen the flip side of it. Uh, I think you probably have too. So we sort of have, we have some perspective and we still understand what it's like to navigate these types of relationships. So yeah, I think we can do this. Yeah. Um, so it is important to note, I think, that this assumes a monogamous preset, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think we should state this. Um, and right at the beginning, before they dive into anything, they sort of run through some examples of what they mean by opening an existing relationship, which includes um, relationships that you may want to open up. You may or may not be living with that person. You may have been practicing serial monogamy and like overlapping people, which is when, Mm -hmm. for those that missed our earlier episodes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) serial monogamy is when you go um, basically like back to back with your partners. So you'd always line up the next partner before you leave the current one. So even though physically you're being monogamous, you're like um, emotionally, you're like. But yeah, basically when you're like dating and you always have somebody like waiting in the wings. And so you're never not dating, but you're technically only dating one person at a time. Yeah. I think for me, the jury is still out about how much of that is relevant to non-monogamy as a culture and a a lifestyle. I think Mm. it's it's interesting. Uh, For more discussions on that, see our first episode. They even point out here, though, that it's not just about monogamy. They actually also say you might just be looking to open a triad or a group marriage. So they're not even exclusively from a monogamous standpoint, but from a closed relationship standpoint, that whether you're in a, like a dyadic relationship or a triad or something like it, it was closed and now you're knocking down the walls a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's, there is this other one as well that I put in here and I was like, Oh, it's me. Uh, where it says you may be keeping all your lovers compartmentalized and want to move towards something that looks more like a family and tribe. Now, as I've mentioned before, mm. and as you know, I tend to keep my relationships very siloed from one another. Um, they're quite geographically disparate. They do not share friendship groups. You know, they do not share communities. Some of you don't even share languages. So it's yeah. it, it's interesting reading this chapter from that perspective because the rest of the chapter isn't written from that perspective. The rest of the chapter is written from a very set point, like set example, probably the most statistically likely example. But yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, look, it's me. I'm in the book. <laughs> they definitely start with all this, all these like possibilities. But then basically going forward from here, it's like you are in a relationship as a, as a couple. They sort of have framed this, you two people are in a relationship and now you want to open it. Um, which leads into their first section here called Turning Some Into More. Um, <clears throat> and they... Some of this is sort of a recap of what we've talked about before. Um, they say you probably encounter some disagreements. Um, so you still need to like read through this. They're like, they're basically like, still read this chapter. Don't skip over this. Even if you are both like 
ready to do this. Hmm. And they kind of use this this section to set a tableau, which is the word I'm using for this, where they're basically using this tableau to introduce like a position. And the position is this, it's triadic, so there's three people. And there is basically somebody who uh, wishes to open a relationship, their partner, and a th- um, I don't want to use the term third, but the third person in this triad is is the the new lover, the new introduction. Um, they use the word outside partner, which I kind of I think is nicer than calling them a third or a secondary or something. Yeah. Okay. So the outside partner, and then the established dyad. Um, mm-hmm. and this basically sets the tone, I think, for basically everything else that's coming, right? Um, because then, then they go into these sections, which are labeled, as you just said, the outside lover, the adventurous lover, and the one who chose none of this, which, it, which makes it sound like a Friends episode, by the way. You know how, like... Can I just point out something else? Oh, what, is, what about Friends? Oh, like... I've never watched Friends. You've never watched Friends? You're such a bad American. <laughs> I've seen like episodes of it, but I'm not familiar with like I haven't watched all of it. Like I know okay, there's a like, Ross and a Rachel in there. The Friends episodes they're all called the one where or the one in which or something like that. Like they all begin like that. Like the one where yeah. you know where where there's a Mercedes or I mean that's not the name of one of them. I need okay. You know what? We're gonna now look up Friends episodes. Wait, we watched we've watched we've watched a few Friends actually. The last time you were with me in Boston, we were you were watching it. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. They pulled it. Okay, well, we'll have to take that up with Netflix. Yeah, so it's like the one with Princess Consuela, the one where Chandler that gets, um, gets what? What's Ross? The one with Ross's grant, the one where, where, jo- where Joey speaks French. And so when, they, right. when I was reading this, I was like, okay, so <laughs> the one who chose none of this, like it sounded very similar to me. Anyway, this was a fun red herring. How delicious. Let's go back to the episode. So the one thing I didn't like about this chapter so much is they were sort of, they kind of normalized cheating a little bit in it. Um, And we're going to talk about that more later, but they keep talking about it as they talk about this outside lover and adding them. There's a lot of discussion about like, what if this adventurous partner who's trying to open the relationship is already involved with somebody and now you're backpedaling to open your relationship. Yeah, which is like a terrible position to be coming from. For like, right. for as uh, if they were going to pick an example, I think this is a really bad one. Like, it doesn't do us any favors as a community because often, often that's like it may well be an entry point to like a happy, successful, open relationship. Um, but it's like a very bad uh, experience for almost everyone involved in the situation. So I share your kind of like dislike of that. Now that I've said that, the only thing I guess I, I would I would counter my own point and just say that maybe. In some of the other chapters, we've done the work of like how to just be poly and sort of enter that directly. Okay, everyone take a shot. I just said how to be poly, how to do poly. It's like every episode. That's not true. This was this was good. Like they, but like in 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 this one, they're kind of saying like starting from a very different perspective, and maybe maybe there's a point to it only in that like maybe this is where people start, and sometimes it happens because of situations like that and not that I want to normalize that or say that that is a good way to go about it but it's probably a very real way that some people get to this point so as much as we disagree with it I guess we shouldn't shoot down people who get to it that way because that's also valid so so this adventurous lover um is the person who um may or may not be cheating but putting that to one side for now, because we do have a section on that, is the person who is um, driving the dis- like the discussion about having um, an open situation, situationship, um, whatever label you want to put in it. Monogamish is like quite a like quite a fun one, um, and I would I I think it's also possible that there are like two adventurous lovers who are equally interested in opening up the relationship but for, for this tableau there's there's one uh, and they say the advantage of this position is like you know more or less what you want and I was like I disagree entirely just because you are like oh I like want to open the relationship doesn't necessarily mean that you know what that fully looks like or that you know why you want that um so I think they're making some assumptions about the, this person already 
think they're assuming this person has read the book already and then it's been like oh this is a great read let me get it for my wife or husband or boyfriend or partner or a gendered spouse yeah i mean I, I i agree with you i think they're saying that like you've come to this point and you've like done the work and you know what you want whereas you could just be you know in a relationship and now you have a crush and like you don't know what to do with it one of the things that i did like about this section is that the they discuss the emotional profile of what that person would be and i think it remains relevant like if someone has just got a, a crush and they're like oh my god i feel terrible that's guilt and this is the first time they mention guilt in the book like I'm surprised it's it's being it's being brought up so kind of late in the book in a way because I think it's quite a I mean I guess I've spoken about shame and anger but guilt is really uncomfortable for this person to be feeling um and obviously I I just liked that they had this in there they didn't dig into it in any way I think that's a product of I think they're talking about guilt too is a partly a product of the fact that this is the first time they're really approaching this. Like I said before, as a, as a couple who's trying to, to navigate into this space. And that's where guilt would be much more relevant in a different way, because you're going to, you know, if you're in a loving and caring relationship, you're, you're more likely to end up feeling guilty. They say here, you know, you have to like sort of reimagine, you have to step out of the paradigm upon which your entire previous existence was based, which is going back to like all the work you have to do that we've talked about before of sort of deprogramming sort of society and cultures, ideas of what a relationship is and what we've been brought up to sort of understand. And if you're already in a relationship trying to do that, you could feel guilty. So maybe that's why, but I agree with you. It's sort of weird. We, we've gotten this far before we've really had any, any guilt. Yeah, and I think it's important to signpost now there's a couple of episodes that uh, multi-amory podcast did explicitly about guilt and they, they they talk about guilt in a very wide sense so like of, like you have guilt even in an established triad or an, you know an established marriage like you still will have guilt but like I'll flag it I'll put it in the show notes if you're interested in like the way that guilt plays into the way that we navigate relationships it's quite a good couple of episodes so um, I'm just trying to find if there's anything else I liked about this adventurous lover section. Oh, I was going to say right at the end, they're coming back to this and like this adventurous lover, you know, in fiction or in movies or whatever, they can sometimes be portrayed as very like carefree, like these sort of free lovers or, or whatever you're thinking about, like this kind of person, this prototype that they're using may often be perceived as someone who's a little heartless, free of care, and they're not really concerned about the other people involved. Um, and that, that, that you don't want that freedom, if you're doing this as an ethical slut, reading this book, you don't want it to come at the cost of being a callous jerk. And that if you're trying to do this and you care about the people involved, you don't want to cheat. You want to live it honestly and honorably. Okay, so the next section is this outside lover chapter. Um, and I think straight off the bat, they point out that there is like a lexical gap here. There isn't really a word for this person. And a lot of the words are highly... Um, like loaded words and a lot of them are for women so they give a couple which are sort of tossed around which is like homewrecker mistress the other woman um and then even like secondary or tertiary like i mentioned a third earlier that's a common word for this person but it has kind of a derogatory or demeaning overtone so right away they're saying there's no good term for this person because our entire culture suits a mono culture um so that there's kind of like a lexical gap and i also i also like that they've used the term outside lover um i don't like some of the other terms i use like squeeze or sweetie which i hate and i'm like really stop it please stop it's so bad <laughs> i literally call you sweetie though Yes, but seeing it written down, I'm like, this is awkward. Also, squeeze, like, where are we? Like, are we in Chicago in, like, the 60s? Are we, like, are we on, are we in Greece? <laughs> the musical, not the country. Um, so I really like the first, this, this, so this section, The Outside Lover, is only two paragraphs. And I like the first paragraph, and I feel less strongly about the second paragraph. It changes really quick. Okay, what, what do you not like about the second paragraph? Because the, the second one, it's still, and I guess this is part of the whole chapter, it's very, like, primary relationship, dyadically centric. So, 
kind of like they're talking about all these language, like all these language issues about adding this third person. Um, and I think this is one thing like for us, like I use basically the word partner for everybody because it doesn't really have to have any like just people that I'm dating involved with whatever. And there's no sort of privacy. There's no sort of ranking, right? But in the second paragraph, they're talking about like, if you're adding this person into your constellation, um, can have advantages and disadvantages. And they're like, this new person, like you just get to spend time having fun with them. You don't expect to support them or have a, like give up your career to stay home with the kids, but then you can't call them. And I just, I, the tone I got from this is like, you're adding these outside persons as sort of superfluous. It's again, just a really big assumption on what this oh, next relationship. Cause I read this differently. Like, really? Yeah. So, okay. I, probably because I've been the outside lover um, in, yeah. I guess like, people who are who are opening their relationships because I'm very sure on what I'm doing and everything like I don't know for for whatever reason I've ended up being this person quite a lot and I read this this paragraph as being the positives for me in this situation Hmm. like the positives for me is that I'm the fun one I don't and I don't have to give up anything as the, the the outside lover I don't have to make a decision about like kids Hmm. or um like I I don't have to to be there for like the bad days. If I want to, I can set those boundaries because there is no preset frame that I'm operating within. And then on the flip side of that, there I definitely see this as a down point from many of my well all of my relationships, right? Because of the way I operate. But like, I definitely would see this as a down downside of being an outside lover. Is that on the flip side, you don't get to like have someone who's allowed to like come into the surgery room with you or like you know you, mm. like what they say your position conveys few responsibilities but also often carries very few rights and I mm. underlined that and I read this as not a positive or negatives for the person that's dating me but positive or negatives for me yeah I guess it just I don't know I just I it it I, what was tough for me is that it, it is all framed on one very specific type of relationship. Yes, it is. And that you're stealing my critique of the chapter because that is my overwhelming critique of the chapter. <laughs> that was mine too. Like when I said, you know, there's some really useful stuff in here. I think this is a, it's a very good stepping off point, but it's very narrow and it's very focused. Let's talk about the next person. The one who chose none of this, season nine, episode 23 of Friends. Um, I'm joking, don't look that up. So <laughs> this is the person who in this tableau is being approached by their partner who they thought was their monogamous partner. Who That partner is now saying, I don't feel like this is working for me and I'd like to talk to you about opening our relationship. So... What did you think about this section? Because it's a lot longer than the other two individuals, which I understand. Honestly, of the of the three individuals, though, I I thought this was sort of the broadest. Like I could, I mean, again, I can't relate with this directly, but I think this one as a section I liked a little bit more because it, it wasn't so specific, right? This is this doesn't like fit into one little thing. Like this is, this is a broader look at what if your partner comes to you and you were in a monogamous agreement and there was no sort of discussion of it. And now they're like, but actually, especially because some of it is again, framed on like your, your adventurous partner is coming to this already with somebody lined up. And we're going to get into that in the next section where they talk more about cheating. So, um, you know, they talk about like, you know, you had this lover and they'd, they'd promised to forsake all others. Maybe not explicitly, but it's often the cases we talked about before, sort of implicit in a lot of relationships in the world. And while we may disagree with that, like most people go into relationships with that understanding, unless it's explicitly discussed. And to have somebody come up to you now and be like, hey, by the way, actually, I want to sort of redefine this is definitely a hard position to be in. Oh, and they say here, you know, you one way or another, you have to find a way to cope with what's been handed to you and figure out what's going to happen next, which I, you know, agree with. 
So, yeah, I, I also unle- underlined that one. And also once the subject of opening relationship is on the table, it cannot be shut away in a, in a drawer again. So, so mm. this, this discussion is already happening um, and it's, it can be kind of an emotional one. Some of the emotional profiles that I kind of coded in this section was distress, anger. Um, I think there's the key ones, but also some hope comes through in the later parts of this. Um, basically, you're being asked to do emotional work that you never chose to do and that they kind of go through some things that might be in it for you. But I want to say at the very beginning, because I don't think they make this clear, you can also say, no, this isn't for me and end the relationship. But like, those are really your only two options. You either engage with it or you end the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about like after you process your emotions, what, what is the, the potential benefit of engaging in that discussion? Um, and one of them I highlighted and I was like, it's, it's you. Perhaps the work will make you stronger. Perhaps you will make an unexpected journey into your own capacities and make you more able to love many people, basically. And I was like, oh, it's Sebastian. Because I feel like I've been with you now for many years. And obviously when you met me, this wasn't something that you had put a lot of the hard work into. And now you have. And now you're you're so loved. I didn't like the next section where it's like, perhaps it will improve your communication skills and deepen your relationship. And I was like, no, that is a tech. Like, yes, that may well be a byproduct of this, but that's a terrible reason. Oh, let's like go through this hard emotional work to try and deepen our monogamous relationship. I disagree with that. And I wrote, um, this can, like, we need to just, basically, if you're discussing needs and you're under- becoming more emotionally literate, great. But exploring this shouldn't be the reason like it's not the only opportunity you have to deepen your monogamous relationship is to like dabble in opening it up well so the way that i read this was a little different was just that like say your your partner lover whatever comes to you with this and says like this like i want to do this and if you do the hard work and you and you decide that you also want to do this right or that you will put in the work for this or something um, that maybe in doing that and opening yourself up to shifting your relationship to that, that things that could come out of it are in, in taking the steps to do that, right? Because we've talked about before, there are, there's a lot of work that goes into doing that to, to having relationships like that, whether you're practiced at it or not, it doesn't, it gets easier with practice, but it's still work, right? Um, that in doing that work, especially for the first time, you might, find out that you're also able to do this or that in figuring out how to navigate it, your communication skills get better. Like not that you're doing this to improve communication, but that in doing it, one of the byproducts is that, or that you might feel more secure in your relationship when you come to this point of realizing that like these monogamous values that define relationships aren't actually that important. And then you feel stronger in your relationship. Yeah, no, I I see your point. Um, so I mean that was my reading of it again I tend to have a slightly more positive reading of a lot of these chapters I've noticed you seem to be more critical sometimes um I was critical of some parts of this chapter so but not this particular one okay so that that was also improving your potential to improve your sex life give you some personal time free you of traditional views of relationships um open up new connections, like a lot of the things that I've said before. Um, but I think the key part comes like, like lower down when they say it's about looking at the possibilities and choosing and not blindly reacting. And I think that that's, that's a good way to, to lead into this discussion about cheating. Because I know I have a whole section on cheating, which uh, I should say they do not define like the first thing I would expect them to do is to define cheating, but they don't do that in this section. So um, how would you define cheating? Um, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I don't remember if on the podcast or not. We've definitely talked about it in person because we communicate. Um, <laughs> my definition of cheating is, is any breaking of, a, of an established agreement in a, in a relationship. 
Right. Excellent. This is me clapping for that definition. It would have taken them literally one sentence to put that in. And instead, they just power through this with the assumption that the reader knows what cheating is. And it's important to be explicit about that because people just assume that cheating is basically fucking somebody while you're in a relationship with somebody else, which is like such low hanging fruit for a definition of cheating because so many like it's just a very monocentric way of thinking about that. Whereas even within this section, there could have been other types of cheating that they were talking about. Like, for example, you might form a very deep emotional connection with another person and have no physical intimacy with them while you're in a relationship with somebody else. That's that could break a number of boundaries that you've set up. I don't know. It was just it frustrated me so much that they didn't give us a definition at the beginning of this because I was like, you have a you have a prime put real estate to do this now. They do say in the beginning, though, sometimes the relationship is already open, kind of, which, again, is not super helpful because, again, it's like, what does that mean? No, I hated that. I think they're just making a lot of assumptions on on what what that would mean and framing it from the context of like a, a traditional monogamous relationship that is supposed to be like completely monogamous. But I, I think you're right. Like that could be like, is this like emotionally open? Like, is this just forming some really close connection? Because some people take that really seriously like they're not cool with their partner having like and that's a whole other issue that i don't even think we have time to dive into but you know some people could find like without any physical intimacy that like an emotional connection with somebody would be cheating so not super strong start here janet and dossie um yeah i don't think it gets much easier to handle this section because they kind of just there's only really one part of the section that I liked so first of all they talk about an emotional profile that comes to so if a partner's come to you and they already have an outside lover that you were not aware of conventionally known as cheating let's say um there are feelings of like what did I do wrong like you blame yourself there are feelings of a betrayal there are feelings of shame there's a lost there's a big loss of trust sometimes there's grief and anger these are all the emotional profiles that i coded for this section um but i did like this part where it's like cheating is not unusual and it is not perpetrated only by heartless sex addicts and i liked that point because um i feel like just saying that might help somebody who is feeling all of these feelings like oh what i'm going through is not like i'm not the first person in the world that will have gone through this which logically you know i guess did you like that point or did you hate that point i actually don't remember that oh there it is i didn't remember that line um i like that line um i think and they they referenced kinsey before i to say that kinsey found that half of theoretically monogamous marriages actually were not um, I do. I think that's a really good point. Just before that, they, they're they saying it can help to remember that your cheating spouse partner uh, is trying to take steps towards more honesty. So I agree with you about that section. I think that's one good part in this when you look at cheating is that or thing to keep in mind, right? Cheating is not good. But what I don't like is what they the, the two paragraphs before that and after the way they keep framing this, which is like, okay, your partner's cheating, but it's it's okay because now they're trying to be open about it, right? And I don't like the sort of tone of this whole section, which is like, you've gotten to the point of opening your relationship because somebody is either skirting the established rules, implicit or explicit, or has actively broken them and now is backpedaling to try to fix it, right? Not to say that it doesn't happen, that it can't work out, but I don't think that this is like, I don't think that they should have spent this much of the chapter framing it as though the way that people are going to go from a monogamous to a non-monogamous relationship is because somebody couldn't keep it in their pants and now they have to like patch it back together. That to me is not like a strong starting point. I also think that it can be a little bit um, disempowering if you're the one that didn't choose this and you you realize you've been cheated on to then be like, oh, but maybe this is valid and maybe it's my problem that I'm freaking out about this. Because we have seen in the news and in our 
in our culture recently situations where the breaking of, of established boundaries in a monogamous or non-monogamous setting has then like been coupled with gaslighting to then be like, okay, but you need to accept the way that I want to live my life. Um, obviously this was written before all of that came out and we, for, we're not going to dwell on that, but like with that now as a really important recent event for our sort of subculture, this reads very differently. They do, they do highlight what we just said very briefly, that, that trying to open a relationship in these conditions is far less than op- optimal, and that how is that non-consenting partner supposed to find a way to feel secure? Um, you know, if you've been put in this position and it's like, well, you either have to agree to this new paradigm or we have to break up, right? Or your partner who did this is like, well, okay, fine, I won't open it. Like, it creates this whole sort of trust issue, and how do you come back from that? And But then they're like, it's less than optimal, but it happens to plenty of people and you can, many people navigate through. And I think that that's a little naive of an assumption of them. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't really like how much we frame this around cheating and sort of making it an okay way to do this. I agree. But that's just me. Um, I completely agree with you, but I think this is the sociological point that this part is trying to make, which is that cheating in quotation marks, ding, ding, is not a moral failing of a person or the moral failing of a relationship. From this perspective, based on, on this, the literature that they're using, it can be interpreted as a cultural failing, that we have been assuming that monogamy is the only way to show compassion and intimacy and everything. And when we don't fit into that box, we blame ourselves, we blame our a fault in our relationship, like they say further down, uh, conventional therapeutic wisdom is that cheating is a symptom of something wrong in the relationship and that working on the relationship will make cheating go away, which might well be true, but it might also not be a failure in your connection. It might be a failure in the way that we have been programmed to think about connections in that they have to be monogamous. And in fact, they say it's cruel to tell people that something is wrong with a perfectly good relationship just because the desire has a way of squirming out of bounds. It's very normal in relationships that you have different levels of desire at different times in their relationship but for different people and framing that like it's a moral failing is damaging to people damaging to relationships and I think damaging to our culture so I think that's a sociological point they're trying to make I agree they make it terribly and they instead frame it around like if you're the person that's found out someone's cheating and you're feeling anger try and work through the anger and rebuild trust and I I think it's they, they would have done well to separate these into like a sociological attack on the concept of monogamy and using cheating, quote unquote, ding ding, cheating, as an example of a way in which that fails versus an actual guide to how to deal with this unwelcome information about someone else's activities. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's move ahead to the next section, which is called First Openings, which sounds vaguely sexual. All right. It does. So they say at the very beginning of this for everyone involved in the situation to get from where they are right now, including maybe being angry, to someone new, there is a commitment to push yourself out of your comfort zone. So they say that, but the rest of this chapter, they do not talk about the outside lover really at all or consider that person at all. So really what they're saying is you've decided to open your relationship, good monogamous couple. Now let's uh, like re- restate that you're going to have to do some emotional work. Yeah. I, will, I will begrudgingly come back to this point later, I think. It irritates me that they basically don't include the outside lover from this point on. Like they assume that they're just going to be okay with the situation? Like Yeah, and they're just going like to wait around, you know, just like wait and absorb all of the emotional blowback and emotional labor that is involved with this and having been the outside lover on so many occasions I'm like stop wasting my time anyway so step one that they say is a good place to start is to sit down in a peaceful place and compare your visions of a more open future so this is basically physically writing down some notes on like what ideal situation would be for your life and everyone writes that down 
and then they pass that note to everyone else. And the idea is that you will look at it and be like, this is completely different from mine, but here are the things that are similar. This is what we're working towards, those overlaps. What did you think of that idea of how to like begin to open your relationship? I think that it's a good starting point. Um, and I think that if, if this is, if, assuming we're going to ignore for a fact our disagreement with how they frame this whole situation and that we're going to just work through it for now, then I think that if you were in this situation, taking the time to write it down, and we've talked about my views on writing things down, and we've talked about it as a tool broadly, I think this is a really good first step. Like, okay, where, you know, somebody comes, I want to open the relationship. The other person's like, okay, I'm, I, I'm open to this. Like, I will give this a try. I, I'm okay with this as an idea. Then, yeah, the next thing you want to do is if you're restructuring the relationship is figure out where your common ground are, is and where your limits are and, and go from there. So I, I think this is a good first step. I agree. I do have a point on this, though. Um, which is that one of the one of like the potential caveats that I would put on that though is like what after you've shared that and you've found the common ground in your like shared vision, immediately burn the note that you read it on. <laughs> because it's going to change so much as you go through the process of unlearning and, and then learning a bunch of things that you currently assume. And it, you don't want to get to a point where you're like, oh actually, I don't want this anymore. And I'm kind of being held to it because we don't have any other tools to go on. So I would put the caveat of like, I love this beginning step of like writing down, thinking about it, writing it down, passing it to each other and be like, okay, so you want to be able to go to sex parties every Sunday. And I really want to have like more time with the kids. Um, and here is the common ground. It's doing something different on the weekends. But then I would burn that piece of paper because it might be that like a year down the line, <laughs> you also want to be going to the sex parties or the person that wanted to go to the sex parties has now met someone and actually is like, well, actually I'd like to have a full blown like relationship with this person and really give it like the, the opportunity to grow. So really I wouldn't want anyone to be held to that very first idea of what this is going to look like. Cause often when people open up their relationship from, from what I've seen, just my personal experience, they don't know what the hell they want <laughs> as much as these authors are giving them credit for. Yeah. And I think the this part and then the next section touches on that a little bit more. And I agree with you. I think this is this goes back to when we talked about boundaries and like you figure out your boundaries and your boundaries change and they can change over time. They can change as your relationship evolves. Those first boundaries, those first things that you're trying to use to, to sort of line this out are going to probably shift over time as, as you change over time, as your relationship shifts, as, as things evolve, as you get more practice as you get more comfortable, all these things. But even before that, so I totally agree with you. And they even say right at the, like right after this, when they give all these options, after you've done this, you don't have to want the exact same things. In fact, you're probably not going to as you work this out. Um, and the important thing is just to work together to figure out the agreements that make it possible for both of you to get the things that you want or the things that you need. Um, and then they point out that, you know, doing this can look really overwhelming, making this big change, not really knowing how to get there. So you're like, we're here. We want to get to point X. There's no path to get there. There's no guidebook. I mean, there's this guidebook, but like for every person, it's going to be a little bit different to get to that point. <laughs> so many, everyone that's polyamorous has a podcast and a book. I'm like, that's the, that's the trick. <laughs> so many but there's no magic ones is the point right like none of these are going to give you like the magic teleportation to the, the dream right right there's no there's no treasure map right the, all of these books will give you skills they'll give you advice they'll give you guidance but every relationship is different and you're going to have to navigate that as two or three or eight or however many people getting from point x to point y and that's going to look different for everybody so you don't have to like say you don't learn this one by jumping into the ocean so you just take it slow okay let's move on to the next section then which is called designing your learning curve um what did you think about this section um i don't know i don't have any strong feelings about it i think it's helpful um 
what they're talking about in here is that it's coming back to agreements and why we make agreements. And they said very loosely, there's sort of two categories of agreements to deal with your emotional comfort zone. Um, one is to avoid scary feelings. And the other is agreements that that let you take a risk on feeling something that might be uncomfortable or scary, but not terrifying. I don't know that that's entirely true. I agree that those are two types of agreements you can make. Um, it comes back to the sort of avoidant versus risky thing and, and whether you're making agreements to sort of shelter yourself or to broaden it. And and I think that's one of those things we've talked about that, that changes over time, how you sort of does, lay out yeah. your agreements. So I think that um, I love this line. Avoidance strategies are how you feel safe. Risky strategies are how you grow. If you've made a commitment to try and grow out of your comfort zone, the beginning, you're going to like front load all of your avoidance strategies because it's scary. So you're going to have, for example, they say that there might be a lot of agreements that add up to basically you won't. Um, but as you work through it, um, less will seem scary and more risky risky agreements we made miss risky strategies if you like risky is maybe not the best terminology to be using here but whatever um i liked this and i think basically if you were to draw a graph which obviously i did do and our one axis was was risk like at the top was was unsafe feelings and at the bottom was safe feelings and across the bottom was time over time you would see that a curve going from the top left of the chart down to the like quite near the safe feelings because the more you do something the safer you're going to feel so you will need less like it like the, the need to to make this dichotomy is going to fade away but at the beginning this this is a helpful way of thinking about agreements i think are we making this agreement to protect how i feel and to stop myself from being in situations where i'm going to feel anger shame guilt jealousy or am I going to make strategies where I'm deliberately exposing myself to those things because I want to grow and I think it's worth the time I think this is a really really nice this whole section in about two pages is a really nice sum up of a lot of the things we've talked about previously um, we've definitely devoted more time to this sort of avoidant and risky agreements previously and and I think you're right that over time you you're, you shift in first of all what you perceive as avoidant versus risky um and that over time there's much less avoidant strategy and even your things that would have been risky agreements become less risky as you grow more comfortable in this to bring the sort of example right at the beginning of of you two deciding to go on to tinder together as a couple and like do some tindering together there might be like really firm agreements which are, are avoidant so things like, well, you can't speak to anyone that we match with unless I'm also physically present. That's quite a common one. Um, or you can only tell this person this sort of byline about our relationship, like how long we've been together or whatever. And as you actually spend more time doing this, this um, potentially scary, feels unsafe activity, you're going to see that those agreements will essentially change and like will fall away because you don't need them to be there to protect you whereas there might be for example a specific strategy of like okay i'm going to give you the tinder for an hour and then i want to see who you who you uh have swiped it's a bit risky because you might get that back and see a whole bunch of men that your wife has swiped that look nothing like you and you might make you feel all of these different ways and it might be like really scary but it's something that you want to do you want to make that agreement because you're trying to grow, because you're trying to open up, you, because you know that this is part of the step to getting to where you want to be. So those are, that's just a, an example, I think, to, to help to ground some of this into reality. I think that's a really good example. And it sort of leads me into the next part of this that I wanted to highlight as well, which is something we've said before, but that many people find the stories that they make up in their heads in the absence of information are scarier than reality. So one thing about that sort of making those risky agreements is that the reason that they're scary is exactly what you said. Like, what if you get that phone back and you're like, you still share it and you look at them and you're like, wow. And then you feel really 
uncomfortable. But maybe you look at it and you realize, oh, this isn't a big deal. I don't have a like look at these people like they whatever the situation, whatever you find out, oftentimes what you were afraid of happening, what actually happens is less scary to you in real life. So maybe you go back through the phone and you're like, oh, this doesn't scare me. Like I'm not as worried about what I'm gonna find out looking through this after the fact than that. Or another example might be like you're really afraid of the people who have a don't ask, don't tell policy and you don't you don't want to hear about a date or hear about what happened on it. And then at some point you take the risky step to be like, no, I do want to hear about it a little bit, or I want to be able to ask you about it and learn about it. And then you realize as you're doing that, actually. This wasn't so scary. It didn't make me feel insecure or something. It made me feel happy or it made me feel compersion or maybe made me feel turned on even, right? Yeah. Like, and you find that, and definitely you don't get there right away and it might take time and not everybody's going to always feel all of those things. But the only way that you're going to find that out and maybe grow and get stronger is by taking some of those risky decisions and opening yourself up to, yeah, possibly getting a little hurt but also possibly finding out that you have expanded your emotional range. I think we've almost naturally started to talk about the next section, which is called taking some tiny risks. But I do want to say that it's absolutely beautiful for me when I'm in a relationship that with someone who is unfamiliar with this to, you know, at the beginning, they're like, I don't want to meet your partners. I don't want to hear about your partners. I don't want to know about any of this stuff. And over time, seeing those barriers come down, it's so it's so rewarding it is so lovely like so that that's my experience of this like I see people trying to give me these avoidant agreements or like make these avoidant strategies for themselves especially when I'm dating people who have previously only been monogamous and it starts really like like really hard and you know they're very scared like there's a lot of like fear and uncertainty so obviously they're trying to keep themselves safe and when people start to take those what they call in this book entry level risk taking strategies things like i'll say oh do you mind if i just you know call call you back cuz i want to take this phone from another partner and they'll be like um yeah that's fine they're making a little bit of space for me to have my other partners it's like that's that's an, an example of like an entry level risk taking strategy for for this person that i'm dating and it's it makes me feel so much closer like as these barriers come down I just think it's really beautiful. I think it's so nice, which I think is the is quite a a positive note to end on because they they also at the end of this chapter they they do talk about like this time and energy is like really worth it. <laughs> Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't do it. <laughs> otherwise, we wouldn't have done it for you. <laughs> um, I do have one little thing that I didn't like from these these sections though this bit there are distinct advantages to connecting with experienced sluts their knowledge can be very helpful and i was like no 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 i'm i'm the experienced person and i i know this couple where they're like they're new to tinder and they're like oh great this person is a dame let me ask all my questions to this person um and it's a lot of like an educational and emotional labor that you're then going to like outsource from your dyad. And basically I'm here on behalf of all of those outside lovers being like, leave me the hell alone while you figure out your opening up. I don't want to be part of your opening up relationship. Figure out what you're doing and then like come back to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I get that. And you've definitely said that before, but I, I do think, I mean, how do you, I mean, that's also different if it's a couple versus a single person doing this and like trying to navigate it. But there's so much, there, there's a certain amount of work that you can do on your own or as a couple. And there's a certain amount you can only do through living it, like by going out there and trying it. Like you don't. Yeah, but like you don't have to be using my time, energy and like emotional resources because you would prefer to be with somebody who already knows how to do this. I, I like, I, re I reject that that role i'm not going to be your outside lover slash therapist do you know what i mean right but i think that's a personal choice i mean i think some people are i mean every every relationship is going to have some sort of growth and learning curve and i think in this kind of relationship especially i mean you don't have to choose to participate in a relationship like that and you can choose not to date people who are new to this but i i think that 
I mean, some people are going to be new to this and they are going to need some guidance or some support from somebody who has navigated this before. Well, that's why we have this um, podcast. That's why these books and podcasts exist. Like you don't have to get into a relationship with that person, which I feel like is how this is framed a little bit in this, in this part of the, the book. I don't know. I, I guess. I, I, I think they're just highlighting that like there is a wealth of experience out there and that there are people who know what they're doing and can provide support. Um, maybe though something to say is that if you have a, a couples therapist and you are going to talk about this with a couples therapist, make sure that your couples therapist is not also new to polyamory and non-monogamy because I feel like, I mean, this, that's just adding a whole, like, so, like therapy would be a great way of doing this if that therapist was like trained, they would, that would help. It would help in the, the opening up of, of the relationship. Right. But the, the therapist actually needs to be trained on this because most therapists, as I've said in this chapter, will see this desire to open up your relationship as being an inherent failing in the relationship. We are here to tell you that it is not, it is a completely valid decision and choice a valid alternate relationship practice. But not every therapist is going to see it that way. So you've got to make sure you're like choosing your your support intelligently, and that's the way to that's the way to resource people who who know what they're doing, not by dating me on Tinder. I just have a personal growth about this, I guess. Yeah, I think you you do a little bit, and I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't necessarily personally want to date people and have to coach them through all of this mm-hmm. at the moment. But I realized that at some point I, I have had to or I will again. And some of that might even be simple things, not helping them navigate everything. But if you come in as the experienced person, you know where your your limits are, where your boundaries are individually and in the context of developing agreements in this. And so it can just be like, I mean, there's a there's a learning curve that people, I mean, people will just take longer. You may come in and be like, this is how I do this, like X, Y, Z, you know. Like for you, for example, you basically know where you're at with this, what your relationships look like and what you're willing to put out there and not and what you're looking for. And if you meet somebody who's relatively new, they're going to take a little time maybe to figure it out. So I think that's just what they're saying is that like there is going to be a learning curve sometimes. Um, But figure out if you want to do that work with or, you know, you shouldn't do it for someone. You have to decide if you want to do it with someone and you're willing to put in the time for that person's learning. You can find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to polypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books.